evening to you all. It's always a blessing to be here in Jersey with my friend, uh, Dr. David Ireland, Dr. Merlin Ireland. I've thoroughly been blessed by the prayer fest, my first experience of this. And uh, it's not something you can simply watch from afar. Uh, that's an alternative, but you have to experience it. And it was uh, just a tremendous uh, interaction. I don't know how to find words to describe it, but the prayer of the people, the voices, uh, the ministration of the Spirit, the Word of God, and all of you. So I, I hope that this uh, will continue and to have it in the venue that you have it. Um, there's something about crowds. Sometimes we disperse things and move them into bigger spaces just for convenience, but uh, Jesus always had a crowd. And Paul always preached in a crowd. I just don't have any lofts where people can fall down and get sick, <laughs> thing of that nature. But Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you would speak to us, speak through us. Help us to hear and to say things that will honor you and provoke your people to faith and obedience. Thank you that you enable us to understand things you already know. It's a wonderful privilege about your world, your kingdom, your church, your people, about each of us individually. Thank you for this house, these leaders, these people. Thank you for what's behind us, but thank God for what's before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's wonderful to be here with you, and uh, I want to talk with you, if I can remind you once again, I'm a, um, I'm a conversationalist, and uh, my style of preaching and ministering is, um, uh, I guess, a little bit uh, distinct and peculiar. I talk. Um, I don't use a lot of inflections. Um, I probably won't give you um, an introduction, 10 points, and a closure. I probably will touch on a lot of different areas. But I can promise you that uh, when I finish, if I have obeyed the Lord, I would have reached your heart. I would have answered some questions. I would have given some insight. I think that would be of a, a great source to you. Um, <clears throat> it is said that there are three ways to influence human behavior. If you want to influence the way people think or behave, first is what I call the external imposition of laws. Uh, laws can affect you by reason of consequences. Uh, Speeding laws, the traffic laws can affect you by reason of consequences. My son-in-law loves to drive fast, and I often say to him, uh, don't pay tides. I said, a state patrol would take tides. In fact, they'll take 20% if you're not careful. And he never listens, so he pays. So laws can influence our behavior by reason of consequences, but when you take away the laws, number one, nothing has changed. The second is what I call internal regeneration. That's when the Lord does something in our heart. That's a mystery to me. The fact from the hearing of some information and the working of a spirit that we cannot see, there's a transformation. And that transformation is comprehensive. It's spiritual, it's psychological, and it's behavior. You must understand that. There's something happened spiritually. There's something that happened on the cross. But then the psychological, something has to happen up in our mind. We have to reform our thoughts and our thinking. And then lastly, behavior, because you need to understand that thoughts and ideas have consequences. And of course, then the third way is what I call the incarnation of ideas and thoughts. I want to give some ideas to you if I can. I want to explore some redemptive rights and privileges. We just came out of the prayer fest, and uh, we were praying a lot. And uh, in our prayers, we were making requests. And I have to believe that the Lord answered our requests, and he's given us answers. Maybe some of the things I may share this morning may be as an answer to some of those prayers. I want to talk with you this morning about the power of ordinary. The power of ordinary. The power 
of ordinary. And uh, I'm stirred to s search this out because of several scriptures. One is found in uh, Ecclesiastes 9.11, when it said that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not to the strong, but time and chance happens to all. That's always been a very interesting uh, verse to me, and I don't know if the writer was speaking sarcastically. I think he was making an observation. I've seen slow people win races. I've seen weak people overcome mighty things. And I've seen inarticulate people express ideas and thoughts that you know just didn't start with them. The second is found in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians like I'm speaking to you now. And he says, brothers and sisters, I want you to look around here. Look around. God has not chosen many strong, many wise, but he's taking the weak to overcome the mighty and the foolish to confound the wise so that he that glorieth will glory in the Lord. My premise is that there can be divine compensation for our human inability. Success and failure is not always a matter of our natural ability, nor our commitment, nor even our enthusiasm. Not always. I've seen the Lord compensate. Now, we thought for years that related to Romans chapter 8, when it says we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit within us searches the mind of God and makes his intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We thought that made reference to that. But I've found that God can compensate for our human inabilities, and I found that he does it in at least three different ways. You've experienced some of it this week. Number one is the fact that we can get answers to our prayers. That is a tremendous redemptive thing. The fact that the all-knowing, all-powerful God would condescend to hear us, which means that we've been given the privilege to affect not only our environment, but our whole world. Some of us are very concerned about our sociopolitical process. I was in a church, they were very critical. And I said to them, for every criticism, let there be two prayers. Every time you criticize, let two prayers. Because the scripture makes it very clear, we ought to pray for those that are in authority. Whether you like it or not. God never said we have to like people. He said we have to love. He never said you have to trust people. Thank God. He said you have to love them. So prayer, prayer. And prayer, you need to understand, prayer is a dialogue. I made it very clear. It's not a monologue. A lot of time when we're praying, we're doing all of the talking. And then when we finish talking, we get up and leave. What's that about? As if God does not have something to say. He is a speaking God, not just a listening God. And there are two concepts about prayer you have to always remember. You must remember divine liability and human responsibility. You must be clear as to what God will do and what God will not do. There are some things God will not do. And I hear sometimes we pray as if God is going to take away something that he's given us authority. Two prayers that he will not answer. One prayer, any prayer that requests him to do what he's empowered us to do, he will not answer. Not answer. He wouldn't blow the leaves on my lawn. I asked him. I asked for a strong wind to come, and nothing happened. They stayed there a week until I got out with my blow and blew them. He wouldn't chase the geese away with everything that they do when they come. That was left up to me. There are some things that he will not do. He won't go to school for you. He won't resolve your relational conflict. He won't establish relational integrity because that's left with you. Sometimes all you need to do is forgive. Say forgive. And hear me, Kevin, when you forgive, because forgiveness is the healing of history. Forgiveness is the repairing of the past. And so the second prayer he went on answer, any prayer that requests him to do again was called finished. There are some things that are finished. We have power. We have the Holy Ghost. 
We don't need more Holy Ghost. We don't need more power. And I appreciate when people pray that I may be anointed, but it's a wasted prayer. I'm anointed because the anointing is the presence of the Holy Ghost. You understand? I've had people to pray, God, let every word that comes out of his mouth only be from God. I said, brother, you're praying for my death. I said, because there's going to be a little me and a little God. Now, you've got to discern both, and we need them both. So you need to understand, we need to discover divine liability. What will God do? And what will God not do? And what are we responsible for? God won't make you happy. Happiness is a choice. Life is too short to be unhappy. Waste your time. In fact, if you stop criticizing, you can learn to be more creative. The second way he does, it gives us the privilege of receiving and communicating divine information. The fact that God can give us creative ideas, innovative thoughts, that's an amazing thing to me. God is not religious. I'm a dentist. I'm what you call a prostodontist. Let me see your teeth. Smile at me. No, you don't do that in Jersey. I have to remember that. Okay, I'm a prostodontist. I'm a specialist. And I've learned something. God is not religious. God has no religion. Religion is something that we created to reach God, and it gets in the way of God. I've learned that God is involved in every aspect of life. God is an excellent dentist. He could give me impressions about treating patients. You say, well, God, will he help me to prepare for an examination? Yeah, if you study. <laughs> I was about to treat a patient. I had this strong impression. Don't touch this patient. But the patient looked totally normal. I just felt impressed. Don't touch him. I was head of dentistry at the largest health center. He said, send this patient down to a cardiology. And I did. Come to find out, had we done anything, any medical intervention, the patient would have died. God can give creative ideas. And the fact that God can give us ideas and thoughts, God can give us things to understand the next dimension. Did you know that one thought from God can bring you into the next dimension of your life? What hinders us most of the time from receiving divine information is our emotions. Our emotions. Feelings. Emotions are like children. They need to be disciplined. Wonderful friends, but terrible masters. We're moved too much, driven too much by emotions and feeling. The charismatic Pentecostal dimension of the church made us in touch with what I call experiential theology. It's not only the practical, what the word says, but I got to feel. And I believe in that. We should sing a song, I feel Jesus. Yes, I do. And the practical guy said, I don't feel anything. I said, yeah, you look like it. Yeah, you don't feel anything. But there are things, we, but hear me carefully, your life cannot be driven by feeling. So the fact that we can receive and communicate divine information, and that comes through a channel, a variety of channels. One is prophecy. You heard some of that here, prophecy. This past week, prophecy. Prophecy is a channel of divine communication. It has to be judged. It has to be judged based upon its source, its content, its intent, and how we respond. And most of our problem is how we respond. We respond incorrectly because we don't understand the language of God, nor the time, nor the ways of God. See, God does not conceal everything. God, number one, operates in a mystery. God declares the end from the beginning, but he doesn't give the middle part. That bothers me. The middle part is called process. God makes a promise. I'm going to prosper you, and you go broke. Now, what's wrong with that? The best days of your life ahead of you, and all hell breaks loose. What's wrong with that? That's process. Because he declares the end from the beginning, but he doesn't give you that middle part, which is long. And sometimes what we anticipate, we don't realize. 
That's called the crisis of prophecy. We're expecting something to happen, and it does not happen. But I've discovered a principle, I hope you have. God does exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or even think. But see, our major problem is that when we have a, a crisis like that, number one, we get disappointed. The two most common human emotions that you face, one is love and the other is disappointment. We don't know how to handle it. Because when disappointment set in, we think we've done something wrong. Disappointment is a process of life. You must learn how to manage disappointments by how you explain things to yourself. So when the Lord speaks something to you and it doesn't come to pass the way you think, you get disappointed. You must learn to do things the way I've learned over the years. I came across a little book called by Martin P. Selleck, man, called Learn Optimism. Beautiful piece, simple. He said, how you explain things to yourself, especially when they're negative, releases life and energy. Some of you are catastrophizers. You are, say amen, in the house of God. You make a molehill into a mountain. One plane doesn't fly. The whole airport is shutting down. Two snowflakes is going to be a storm. That's the way we are. One bad relationship, I'm never going to find anybody. Nobody's going to ever marry me. Just shut up. <laughs> Catastrophizer. Then there are those who I call procrastinators. How many of you raise your hand and say you're a procrastinator? See, you're lying in the house of God. <laughs> we just worship God and lift your hands and say, thank you, Lord. Now you won't tell the truth. Procrastination is, some, is common. We put off tomorrow what we should have done last year. There are seven days in a week. Someday is not one of them. Okay? And so how you explain things. You must explain things according to that duration. Some things in life are temporary. I'm talking about the power of ordinary and why ordinary people do extraordinary things because they're able to receive answers to their prayers and because they're able to receive and communicate divine information. They're able to see beyond the natural because faith looks beyond the obvious. See, when you're born again, you receive an extra set of faculties. You don't just have natural eyes, you have spiritual eyes. You don't just have a natural mind, you have a spiritual mind. You have to learn how to be double-minded. That's not indecisive. That's not the thing that everything that I see is not totally the truth. So you must explain things in terms of the duration. Don't let temporary things become permanent in your mind. When I went to dental school, I said, thank God, this is transitional. I don't have to see this guy the rest of my life. He's going to be only in my life number for a couple of years. Then he's done. It's over. I see some patients like that. I say, thank God. Once I finish, I don't have to see you again. Some things that happen in your life are temporary. Don't make them permanent. Then you have to determine the source. Everything good is not from God. Everything bad is done from the devil. Talking about the power of ordinary, how ordinary people accomplish things because they're able to paint a proper picture of life. That was a time we thought everything negative was a devil. If your car didn't start, it was a devil. When you got on your, you got on your thing that you measure your weight, if that was 10 pounds, it was a devil. No, it was you. <laughs> it was you. You, you found that you can't cast calories out of food. Say amen. And you can't rebuke the waiter just because he bought that cake. No, you ordered it. <laughs> and so you have to explain things in terms of that source. Make note of this. I can tell you when things are demonic. It always introduces hopelessness. Yeah. 
always brings about depression, always brings about fear. Oh, when you're rebellious, those things can come from God. But many times when you're doing everything you can and all of a sudden there's the introduction of hopelessness and fear and anxiety. Must remember this, children, with God there's always a way. Always a way with God. I don't care what the situation is. So you need to understand, until you understand, explain, number one, the duration. And then effect. Don't let something that affect one area of your life paralyze your whole life. That is a tremendous thing. A bad day at the office, don't bring it home. Why are you angry with the dog? He wasn't at your job. You're insensitive, upset with everybody because you allow one thing to affect your whole life. So you must explain things in terms of their source, their duration. And if you do that properly, so you need to understand the fact that we can receive and communicate divine information is a tremendous task. How we see things. Perspective is the picture you paint of life. Ordinary people are able to do extraordinary things because they're able to paint a proper picture of life. Just because something didn't happen correctly don't mean that it's forever. These are practical things. I have a saying that I use every morning when I wake. This is a wonderful day to silence the noise of hopelessness and to awaken the silence of hope. Let that hit you again. This is a wonderful day for me to silence the noise of hopelessness because hopelessness has a noise. Fear has a noise. Anxiety has a noise. But it's a time for me to awaken the silence of hope. Sometimes hope is silent. You don't hear it. And I awaken it many times by my own words. So ordinary people do extraordinary things because they're able to paint a proper picture of life. You must have a proper perspective. One of the perspectives you must have is a duration perspective. That is, you must plan to finish your course. My wife, Sandra, she transitioned this life in 2015, June the 13th. It's a terrible time for me. Terrible. Whenever I ask how am I doing, I say I'm progressing. Every day I'm progressing. Because for all of us, we're concerned, will there come that time in our life? And it will. Because there's a point for all of us to live in and die. But I had to make up my mind. I will progress. I will go on. I will not stop. Because my family needs me. My world needs me. I have something to say. You must have a perspective in your life that you won't quit. See, until you quit, there's no failure. I borrowed it from you, Alan. Until you quit... There's no failure. Learn from your experience, but make up your mind. If you start, you have the power to finish. If you can believe, you can disbelieve. Make up your mind. The second perspective you must have, ordinary people, is transcendence. You must be able to relate to people who think differently, look differently, act differently than you do. My young, uh, my, uh, my grandson now, he's 22. There was a time I thought he was speaking in tongues. I couldn't understand. What is he talking about? Why is he doing this? Why is that that's inconsistent? Why do you come to Grandpa every week and ask for $20 as if you've forgotten you've asked for 20 10 weeks before? <laughs> and why is it that that's always this thing you have is always in process? Then I understood. Now, he's thinking differently. His frontal cortex is not thoroughly developed. Mine is old. <laughs> so I had to learn to listen to him. Make note of this. Communication is not only the sound of words, but it's the meaning. Often I hear the sound of his words, and I start listening to the meaning. Many times when we were asking for money, that wasn't what he was asking for. He wanted grandpa's attention. 
He wanted grandpa's approval. And if you're going to do something with people, don't do it with a frown on your face. I'm writing a paper called Phaseology. Phaseology. Some things you do, if you do it with that face, keep it. <laughs> keep it. So how do you explain? You must have a, an endurance perspective, transcendence perspective. And then you must have a consistency perspective. At some point in life, you have to stabilize yourself. What I'm seeing today is inconsistency. God is consistent. He's not predictable. Can always predict what God is going to do. You said, but if I do this, he must do this. No, God must not do anything. Now, I know the scripture says he is sworn by his own word in his own name. Yes, he has. But when you try to stereotype or standardize God, you get in trouble. And that's the cause of many of our problems. We're locked in our minds what God has to do. We have confused God. We made God, number one, like a human. God is not like a person. He doesn't think the way we think. Number one, I was praying and asking the Lord. I was going to a church, and I asked the Lord because I figured the Lord would go before me. And I said, Lord, please help me when I go to this church. You know, I was expecting to hear this tremendous dramatic response. And the phrase came back, good luck. <laughs> well, I was just moved in my heart, good luck. Yeah, I've been trying to get in that church for years. Good luck for you. You understand? We must have a proper concept of God. Your concept of God influences your attitude and your behavior. The 115th Psalm is an amazing thing. Talk about ordinary people. Do extraordinary things when they have a proper concept of God. And when you understand, we emulate what we worship. 115th Psalm is a dialogue between two people. One is a believer, one is not a believer. And so the unbeliever asks, where's your God? And the other person says, my God is in heaven. He does whatsoever he wills. But that's not like yours. Your God has hands he can't touch, feet he can't walk, eyes he can't see, ears he can't hear, mouth he can't talk. And here's the clincher. And they that trust in such a God become like him. We emulate what we worship. Our concepts of God. God is unlimited. God is a creator which means he's given us the power to create. God is a rational being, which means he's given us the power to think. God rules, which means he's given us the power to rule over created things. God is a sweet community in himself. It means he's given us the power to live. God is righteous. He's given us the power to know the difference between that which is right and that which is wrong. Your concept of God, God is not a pacifist. I've shared with the people, I think I shared with them, I just got off a flight and I uh, think it was, yeah, it was Nigeria. A man came up to me and said, you're a Christian. I said, yes, I am. He said, then you should give if I ask you. I said, I'm not a fool. <laughs> but the next thing he asked me was very interesting. He said, he said, so if I slap you on the left cheek, you're supposed to turn the right cheek. I said, that's true. But you better not be here when I turn the right cheek, brother. <laughs> See, sometimes we have this concept that God is a pacifist. That God does not want us to talk about ordinary people doing extraordinary things because you learn not to be passive. You cannot let people roll over you, take advantage of you, and thinking that as a Christian, you must not respond. No, sometimes you say, that's it, brother. <laughs> Passivity. No, you don't do that. And God, he's not a, how can I say, he's not a patriarchist. He doesn't prefer men to rule over women. And some of you brothers have a problem with that. You believe you're the head of the household, the priest of the home. You're supposed to control all of the money, and you can't even count. 
How are you going to do those things? You're going to rule her. She has a doctorate in investments and all of this here. And you're going to subject her because she's female. Let me tell you, the word Isaiah doesn't mean inferior. Help me doesn't mean inferior. Same word translated Holy Spirit. My help cometh from the Lord. God didn't bring her from your rib. He brought her from your side chamber. And when he said not good that man should be alone, that's not an emotional word. It means in your separation from God, you couldn't do what you wanted to do without her. God brought her along, him and carefully, out of his providence. And the reason why the devil spoke to her because he was looking for the smartest of the two. And when he looked at the man, he said, that ain't the one. <laughs> Not the one. I've seen him. In the morning, he don't know where east is from west. She knows everything. Look at her. When she starts on the course, she's going to finish it. Even the animals respond to this woman. There's nothing. Even the unjust judge knew that. The woman who said, avenge me, give her what she wants because she's not going to let me sleep. So he was speaking to the strongest. And now we want to subject. The women should say amen by now. Even in New Jersey, you ought to say something. Brought deliverance to you. I told you God made you equal. The women and men are co-essential, co-substantial, and co-equal. They are. And every position, God never dispenses gifts according to gender. Never dispenses gifts according to age or race. All the racial and all the prejudice in Scripture, socioeconomic, racial, and, and all gender have been eliminated in Christ. I'm glad you all look differently. Because if I had to look at men, I'd be depressed. <laughs> Thank God he's created beautiful women. Hear me carefully. But hear me carefully. Hear this one thing. In order for ordinary people to do extraordinary things, you need to understand God's plan of creation. God didn't just bring us here to live and go to heaven. God called us here to excel. He wants us to be victorious. He wants us to be able to deal with every crisis that we face. And he wants us to stop blaming him when mistakes happen and stop blaming yourself. Self-doubt is not, not, not good to doubt yourself. Unjust criticism. And stop responding to the negativity of people. Make note of this. Unjust criticism, envy, and jealousy of first cousins. When people accuse you or criticize you unjustly, it's because if they can't control it, if they can't emulate it, they'd rather stamp it out. You have to learn to discern that. You have to learn to discern your world, your world, from things within, from things without. Now, this is critical, critical. That some things, I walk into a room, I sense a heaviness. And I think sometimes that's within me. And that brings a sort of a sadness. He said, no, 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 son. You're picking up on things outside. You need to distinguish what's outside of you from that that's with inside, or you'll be responding differently. Now, if you don't respond properly, you won't know how to pray. Every time you walk into an environment, you take over the environment. No, no, no. Distinguish from that which is without, from that which is within. If you don't, you'll be overcome by that which out, and you think it's originating in you. See, discernment is absolutely necessary. And <laughs> discernment is most necessary. You got to discern between when the devil is at work and when psychic phenomena is at work. Just because people tell you your future doesn't mean a thing. Hear me carefully. 
And you got to learn how to respond to God despite. Now, one of the things the Lord has been teaching me, and I said I'm a conversationalist. No introduction, 10 points and a closure. But when I finish, if I've spoken from God, I would have answered some of your questions. I would have touched your heart and I would have provoked you. And I can do all three in Jersey. <laughs> One of the things that I've learned is that uh, comes to discernment, discernment. You have to learn to distinguish, number one, when God is at work, when God is not at work. And I had to make a difference between Pentecostal power and psychic phenomena. Just because people can tell you your future, just because they can see things in your life, doesn't mean that that's divinely inspired. Saul went to the witch of Endor. She conjured up a familiar spirit. They said, well, Saul, a familiar spirit. They knew Saul was going to be down there because he was going to kill him. Familiar spirits understand a lot of things about you because they know what they're going to do. They're the cause of the disaster. And that means you can never be distressed just because of negativity. You need to discern the source. And that's one of our biggest problems, not being able to discern the source. The source. And so when things such as sickness and disease come upon us, such as a relational breakdown. I was counseling a woman. She had gone through a divorce. And she thought God had destroyed her marriage. I said, it wasn't God. I don't know if you married someone that didn't love you. I don't know if you forgot my premise that marriage is for grown people. It is not for children. Marriage is war. Two selfish people coming together. Each one thinks they have a right to their own life. Now understand marriage is not an equal opportunity employment. In marriage, the strongest reaches out to the weaker. Even Jersey, you should say, man. Stronger reaches out to the weaker. The weaker is the selfish one, the one who has to always be right, the one who has to always be in charge. Say amen, man. That's me. So the stronger is the one that crosses the line. And she said, the Lord had destroyed my marriage. Hear me careful. <laughs> she said, I'm asking the Lord to forgive me for the divorce. That's a wrong prayer. Ask him to forgive you for the marriage. You married a fool who does not have the ability to love anyone. He can't live with Jesus. And here you're trying to make him happy. There comes a time when you have to pull up stakes. You say, are you advocating a divorce? Yes, sometime. Sometime they never should have been joined together. I've counseled people many times that are staying in a relationship that's toxic, that's destructive, that was not of God. What God has joined together. Let no one cast asunder. And I said to her, I said, when you get married again, and don't let the fear of failure come upon you, because you'll marry someone that loves you. And don't read that little book about women that love too much, which says that if you've ever been in a bad relationship, you'll follow up with another bad relationship. No, no, no. You're getting information now. And that information tells you you're valuable, you're acceptable. Ordinary people do extraordinary things when they understand their self-worth. Self-worth. Amen? Amen? There's that clock again. <laughs> Always does this to me, Ireland. Always does it. See there? It just, just torments me. <laughs> I have to tell you about a few little books that I have here brought with me. One is on discernment. Discernment. Hope you. We need to be able to distinguish times and seasons, proper responses. We need to be able to discern what's going on in our world especially when what's inside of me is in contradiction to what's outside of me because that's what creates depression sometimes. 
I need to be able to discern duration. Here's another little book here, When Prophecies Fail. Excellent piece. I wrote that a number of years ago. I'm a part of a prophetic movement. And these guys prophesy over everything all the time. But they never give people an understanding when prophecies don't come to pass. Sometimes they don't come to pass because we lack an understanding of prophetic language. But many times we don't understand those terms. Prophetic crisis, prophetic contradiction, prophetic consensus. You don't make a decision based upon one prophetic word. Paul said, the Spirit of God has witnessed to me in every city, bonds and afflictions await me. That is, when you hear the same word spoken through different people in different places that didn't know you. Called prophetic consensus. The next is one called the empty temple. Tremendous talks about the Holy Spirit. As an anti-charismatic uh, sentiment that's creeping in churches today, churches almost become an intellectual. They're like going to school. They come in with their tablets and their notepads and take a lot of notes and never touch it in their spirit. There's no power dynamic. That's why I love this place. Not only are you going to be informed in your mind and your heart and your understanding, but you're going to be moved upon by the power of the Holy Ghost, the minister of the Holy Spirit. Whenever the church has been effective, there's been a focus upon the ministry and the person of the Holy Ghost. And I talk about simply how he came in and how we sort of pushed him to the side. And then there's one called Wisdom Between Pages. I love this. My wife and I wrote this a number of years ago. I'm a student of the book of Proverbs has so much information, so much wisdom and knowledge. And one of the things as I was reading Proverbs, I began to want to put together some explicit statements that provoke faith in your heart. Here's one about Jesus. The cradle is empty. No one is on the cross. And the tomb is vacant. But the chair is occupied. That tells me somebody is still ruling. Here's another one here. Spiritual intelligence. I don't know if I talked to you about that. All intelligence is not academic. I think I'm a learned person. But there's a spiritual intelligence. It's a privilege of redemption. It's the ability to understand how God relates, how God works through us. It's the ability for us to understand this divine human connection. It's the ability for us to navigate through life with all of its challenges. Just because you have faith doesn't mean it identifies you from trouble. Sometimes we think just because trouble comes, something's wrong. They told me for years. If your prayers are not being answered, if you have trouble, it's because you lack faith. It's because you're ignorant of the promise of God and you must be in rebellion or it must be a devil. And I've discovered none of those can exist. And you can still have trouble because Paul made something very clear in the book of Philippians. While I'm in this tabernacle, while I'm in this ministry, this life, this is the fruit of my labor. Children, there's some things you can't avoid. There's some things that go along with life, whether it's marriage, relationship. How many of you have teenage children? How many of you have been baptized in joy? How many know they're wonderful creatures? They really are. They're wonderful. They're wonderful. But they're going through a learning training zone. Hear me carefully. And I believe that God is speaking to us through them. In fact, I do believe there's a revolution that's coming through a younger generation. That's why I'm perking up my ears to hear. To hear. Well, the power of ordinary. Can the Lord compensate for human inability? Yes, he can. We can subject our human emotions. Can you do it in other ways? Yes, you can. Through prayer, if you learn to pray correctly. In fact, stop trying to give God information that he doesn't have. Praying all night. I believe in praying all night. I believe there's a time for that. There is. But hear me carefully. You need to understand this. That sometimes prayer must be in a moment. And when you pray, you must understand this principle. There are some things God will not do. Until you distinguish what he will do and what he will not do, it'll create perplexity. 
And the fact that he can give you one thought, one idea, one creative idea, thought. That's what he gave here for this place. That's why this place is here. It was a creative thought, creative idea given to this man. God let him see something. God can communicate with us through visions, through dreams. Many of you have dreams. You dream of people. When you dream of a person, the dream is not about the literal person. It's the meaning that person had in your life. So when you dream of your father, your mother, brother, and sister, ask yourself, what did they mean in my life? You understand? You dream of a house. A house always speaks of your life. House generally has three floors, first, second, and third. The third floor speaks of your spirit, second, your soul, and the lower floor is your body. If in the top floor there's confusion, that means there's confusion in your spirit. If you dream of a car, car speaks of your life, speaks of you, and you're sitting in the back seat, means somebody else is in control of your life. God communicates through dreams, through vision, through revelation. And we need to learn to open up, our, learn to be double-minded. One of the things the Lord has been speaking to me about this generation, we're living in an information age. And I hope that you hear this, children. Don't become so addicted to technology, you lose your sensitivity to the spirit. You'll become addicted to the spirit. Become addicted to the Holy Ghost. And you awaken your consciousness to the Holy Spirit. My good bishop, good Dr. Ireland yesterday when he talked about prayer. Praying in the spirit. Praying in tongues is not a charismatic Pentecostal thing. It's Christian. And when you pray in the Holy Ghost, something is awakened within you. There's an awakening of your consciousness to God. as a sensitivity that comes to God. And if you do that more, even in the midst of technology, not doing away with all of that, not getting rid of it, we need that. We need technology. Hear me carefully. The kingdom of God is not anti-technological. But I do believe that practicality and spirituality and technology can coexist. But you need to understand that technology can override everything. You become so addicted to it, so sensitive to it, you lose your sensitivity to the Holy Ghost. Maintain the sensitivity, praying in the Spirit, being aware. When you're awake every morning, remind yourself of what God has said. Not just the Scriptures, things God has spoken. And you need to get yourself a dialogue, something you can write down and take notes. Write down your vision, your dreams, the things that God has spoken to you. If you do that, I promise you, you'll be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. I got two minutes. I'm going to stop early. God bless you.